have everything required. It's just, just my unbound enthusiasm for this movie, which you are going to reveal to me in about 20 seconds that you think it's a three-star film. Secret Agent Man Secret Agent Man They've given you a number and taken away your name Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com This is Secret Agent Man episode 15 Mission Impossible Fallout. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined on this endeavour, as always, by Ben Phillips. We have both successfully made it out there in these quarantine times and secured a week's worth of shopping, right? How was it in the hellscape that is London? I was so angry at people. There was a family with a baby in front of us in the queue, and they had eight bags of, like, things of toilet paper in front of them. And it was just like, you don't need this much. You definitively do not. Just stop. It's- issue we've got is we could go out there and do a normal shop like it's a normal week and everything would be fine the government are not going to stop our ability to go to the shops they're not going to have the police roaming the streets with guns saying people to go back into their houses okay it's not going to be a strictly enforced quarantine yeah like isolation and quarantine it doesn't mean like in a fucking movie where it's like you know hazmat suits everywhere it just means try as much as you can to keep to yourself but you can go outside if you need to (laughs) like monsters every one of them there was definitely a, a noticeable lack of some things but like we were just about okay but I saw some of the pictures you sent me of just completely <laughs> barren shelves and aisles and, and lockers and everything it was just like crazy times people are so stupid <laughs> speaking of stupid oh. <laughs> oh. Benjamin oh. for two years you and Mike Thomas have been telling me how good this movie is it is one of the three I was most excited to watch for this podcast. It is now going to be the last episode for because they delayed No Time to Die. I am sorry to report, I don't think this is a very good movie. Oh, it's so good. I don't hate it, but I will also never watch it again. <laughs> there are some fun moments and some cool scenes, and like maybe I'll pull up a rooftop chase on YouTube, but... I think it's meh, and I really don't understand why you think this... I think you are on dust if you think this is better than Skyfall and Casino Royale and The Bourne Ultimatum, but, you know, I'm not even convinced this is the best Mission Impossible film, let alone the best film we've done on this podcast, but you love it so, so... Yeah, I do. Why, why do you love it so? Why do I love it? I, this is everything I want from an action movie. This is... Bad writing like... and lens flare and... and... <laughs> just goofy see-through stuff no i just tell me why you love it sorry (laughs) no i think i think just it's 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 managed to get to the point the franchise where everything is working like like clockwork the action looks so good the decision to do everything or as much as they can like in camera and make it look great they've got the cast they've got the patter they've got the history and this movie just starts to pull on like all the strings of this franchise and like it's it this and john wick are like the franchises that are doing action correctly in the 21st century if you're not a Marvel movie. I mean, John Wick is orders of magnitude superior to this in terms of action, but go off. Also, The Raid, I would say, is doing better than both of those, but... 
Sure, Raid, Raid well, is the Raid really good. really a franchise as much as there were two of them. And yes. there probably will never be a third one, but maybe one day. Okay, I dig that Macquarie is like, let's pretend all of them actually exist, rather than just being isolated planets or alternate universes of each other. And he's like, what if Max had a fucking daughter? And, yeah. and, and what if we referenced him stealing smallpox from the CDC? And was that supposed to be Chimera or the rabbit's foot? Uh, who knows? But I assume it was one of those. <laughs> yeah, I dig that, that. And that's totally, like, if someone hit me up and was like, we'd like you to do a Mission Impossible movie, I'd be like, right, as many Easter eggs to previous movies as I can possibly do, let's go. So I'm into all of that. I just, I, I don't think it's noteworthy. <laughs> I feel bad to do it to you, to, to come in here with the film you're most excited about and be like, eh. And I'm trying not to be contrarian about it, but yeah, I just, I'm left with a distinct, is this your king type moment. <laughs> and I'm sorry. And also it's way too long. Nah. Two and not- a half hours, Benjamin. Yeah, and the last half hour is fucking great. When there was an hour and a half left, I was like, how is there an hour and a half left? When there was an hour left, I said, how is there an hour? left and when there was half an hour left I was like how is there half an hour left like definitely two films worth of stuff happening in one film in my opinion I mean, I, I just I don't know there's it, it's got a level of like I feel like there's a movie there's like a split where it's like yes the last kind of half hour of this movie is very similar to something like a like an Avengers or Last Jedi or something like those like or even the Dark Knight where like we've hit our f- emotional crescendo but we've got another half hour to go type thing yes and the, and but then they also kind of like like we've had a confrontation with the big villain but now there has to be a delay and another confrontation with the final villain before we finish the movie but the thing is I love all of those movies (laughs) (laughs) I just kind of every I would say 90 minutes but it's optimistic to want a 90 minute movie these days so I'll say every 10 minutes you go over 2 hours I start deducting points personally like even if I like the film I really like Skyfall Skyfall is definitely too long like I love all these Marvel movies Endgame is fucking way too long but there's a lot going on in Endgame and I like what's happening in Endgame more than I like what's happening in Fallout personally but it feels are you just annoyed that they kind of hold their cards too close to their chest for a bit too long I just don't think it's very good I don't know (laughs) no I don't know it's not not good there's plenty of like really good stunt work and like fun moments and stuff like that I just think I think Macquarie I think there's 12 too many things going on in all of these films that he's written. In Rogue Nation and in this one, I had a distinct feeling of like, wait, what the fuck is going on right now? And I get you're working, you're operating in the spy sector, so it comes with the territory. But I just think he's trying so hard to do like a twisty, turny, reveal-y type plot that he's like taken it too far. And I kind of wish they would distill this and Rogue Nation down to like some of the simpler elements. Like, you've got enough reveals here. You could have stopped a couple of reveals earlier and and it would have worked. And again, I don't hate it. I think Solomon Lane is way better here than he was in Rogue Nation, even though he has less of the focus. I mean, yeah, like he isn't the villain of this movie. There's a reason he doesn't have another confrontation with Ethan at the end of this movie and they yeah. give it to, to Ilsa and Benji. But I, th- I think Sean Harris's performance here is much better. And, and he's got a great beard. He does. I think all of that is, is good. And, and, you know, I'm really happy that Henry Cavill is like blowing up as more than just 
I mean, Superman is about the biggest role you could possibly get, so it feels weird to say, he's now free of Superman and is getting big roles. <laughs> but, you know, I'm amped for him, but I think just Mission Impossible and I don't jive, and you and Mission Impossible very much do. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's just, like, this has always been a franchise. I mean, obviously, I had seen Mission Impossible 1 as a kid, but the main reason I went to go see Mission Impossible 3 was like, ooh, J.J. Abrams, the guy who did Lost, is involved in this one. And then I've kind of continued admiration for the franchise, and and I love Brad Bird, and I think Rogue Nation is great, And mm. but this movie, just I don't know, I just felt starved for this kind of movie when it came out, and I, I just think it's ticking all the boxes, and it's an evolution of the franchise, and... I just kind of think all six of them are imperfect versions of what they're going for, and it's like, oh, you were, got, you were doing so well, and then you did this thing. In Ghost Protocol, it's like, what happens after Dubai, and Rogue Nation and Fallout, I think. There's like, a couple too many things going on, or you you made it a bit too long or you got a little bit too clever with it and Mission Possible 3 like between when they capture Philip Seymour Hoffman and the final confrontation like I there are definitely some great ideas and like a highlight reel of the Mission Impossible series is stellar I just as a movie I don't this isn't really working for me in a way like I would watch this and be like okay I had a nice time and then I would never watch it again it's is my takeaway from this and I think I think that's that, not necessarily a massive diss it's just like I don't find this like exemplary no I think I think very much is like I look at the people on like Letterboxd who break it and it's like like people with like five out of ten, nine out of ten, and then a couple people are like a three and a seven, and it's like, <laughs> I get it. You, you, some people like really love this, and the people who it doesn't work for, they just kind of go like, why do you love this so much? I don't. It's, it's kind of hard to say. It's just there like, is some I, kind of just disconnect. I don't. Know. I don't yeah. even know what I would star rate it. Like, I, I'll think about that afterwards. I didn't want to tip my hand to you beforehand. Like, I've been, I've been silent about my thoughts on it until now. But you could probably put together that I didn't love it. Just one of those things where I came out of the cinema and it felt like something that had been missing from my cinematic diet and mm. it had ticked all the boxes it's it's kind of to me the perfect version of like franchise building where these movies don't feel like they're connected really but that yet yeah, you get to this sixth one and it starts to all coalesce and it's ticking those boxes in a different way to how like Bourne feels like they ran out of juice they didn't have any story left yes and Bond keeps on tripping up when it tries to introduce these franchise elements and like building on a story and a narrative over years and then these movies are just kind of like oh, what if the final 30 minutes of this movie are him reconvening with his wife who hasn't been in the franchise since the third movie it is kind of weird that these things kind of they seem to be coming out like sequels to Mission Impossible films they seem to just be coming out against all odds just every few years going through developmental hell and it's like oh and they're just quietly piling up and then suddenly it's like and now it's like making so much money and it's all becoming really interconnected and it's like it quietly became an actual franchise almost by mistake yeah and like because the first one is like so iconic so it's not like it's this niche thing no one's seen or anything it's just it's while no one was looking they got to six and counting Mission Impossible movies. And then you look at like the casting for 7 and 8 and you're like, oh, it's Pom Clementeeth, Nicholas Holt, Hayley Atwell, Shea Wiggum, big heavy hitters. So, released July 2018, so three years since Rogue Nation, so I think the shortest gap between Mission Impossibles so far. Yeah, and our first returning director. Yes, Christopher McQuarrie, who is writing and directing again, first returning director, and he will also be writing and directing Mission Impossibles 7 and 8, which is bananas, <laughs> quite frankly. 
two hours 27 minutes so now that no time to die is delayed it is the second longest film we've covered and it is definitely the longest mission impossible film 178 million dollar budget so the highest mission impossible one to date 791 million dollars so the highest grossing mission impossible as well and finally a mission impossible that outgrosses mission impossible 2 at the at the domestic box the office monster that was mission impossible 2 that's the thing it's like mission impossible 2 made 215 million dollars at the u.s box office this movie made 220 it's the first movie in 20 years to well yeah i guess almost 20 years since mission impossible 2 came out to actually outgross it crazy yeah so a sequel to Rogue Nation was greenlit before that film even came out. Macquarie comes back. He agreed on the condition that they change up the visual style because he said such a big part of this franchise is different directors, different visions. So if I am going to come back, I at least want it to not be painfully obvious that it's me again. Like, I want I want six movies that all look different from each other. And I think that is, that is true. I preferred his visual style for Rogue Nation. I don't like the sort of lens flare everywhere, oversaturated look he's got going going on here. Did you notice the IMAX stuff? I guess. It's most apparent in the final act where like it's swapping between the IMAX shots in the helicopter mm. and everyone on the ground in Kashmir and like it swaps between letterbox and just huge IMAX yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I, I did notice that actually. Yeah, it was there was like a close up of Solomon and I was like, "Wait, has this whole movie been letterboxed?" Jeremy Renner could not return due to Avengers 3 and 4. They offered to when they lose the plutonium at the beginning and and they grab Luther, that was originally scripted to be, well, originally it was we're going to kill Luther and then Tom Cruise was like no I like Luther <laughs> and then they were like well maybe Benji and they were like no I like Benji <laughs> and then they asked Jeremy Renner would you like to come in and die in- before the credits and he was like no <laughs> because you know he couldn't do the whole film but he could have done a cameo and he was like I'm not turning up just to die so Brant is still out there theoretically but there is no fucking mention of him in this movie so. yeah that's, that's the thing is like it's that weird thing where I remember when people were discussing this we knew he wasn't coming back for full out and everyone went to go see Infinity War and Hawkeye hadn't been ending the trailers everyone's just sat there going like Renner couldn't have spent a couple of weeks doing Fallout like, yeah but then he's Ronin isn't he so. yeah, then he's Ronin in Endgame he's, yeah, he's, he's in Endgame quite a lot in Infinity War though so. Henry Cavill replaced Tom Cruise and the man from Uncle and I guess Tom Cruise had like some kind of lingering involvement in that film because he then was like oh I'd like you to come be in Mission Impossible Vanessa Kirby got cast due to Tom Cruise liking her in The Crown much like how Rebecca Ferguson got her role for uh, The White Queen. Tom Cruise just casting everyone. And production was delayed a couple of times. One, because... Tom Cruise had some disputes about how much money they should give him because I think Universal gave him a shit ton of money for the mummy and Paramount were like we'll give you a medium amount of money for Mission Impossible but they resolved that but then more famously he broke his ankle in a take that they left in the movie yep <laughs> and they shut down filming for seven to eight weeks which famously no they shut down production for more than that <laughs> uh prove it we're wait, supposed wait. to shut it down for seven to eight weeks oh. but what I've heard behind the scenes happened is that obviously as you were about to say infamously Henry Cavill was not allowed to shave his Mission Impossible mustache off so he had to CGI out in his reshoots for Justice League yes McQuarrie did agree to let him shave it and they would CGI his mustache back in because he was like it's our fault he's not available but then Paramount were like nah fuck that we own that mustache <laughs> so yes he has that weird lip in, uh, in Justice League but the issue is is he got his reshoots done on Justice League and then production did not immediately restart on Mission Impossible. Uh, okay. 
But they could have so, been like, doing some stuff, surely. He could have been doing know. some stuff. It's just, it's just quite amusing that, like, apparently, like, it was supposed to be he goes straight from Justice League into Mission Possible, and they just didn't. And well, they were Justice again. League reshoots as well, weren't they? So, yeah. in theory, none of this should have been a problem. But broken ankle, reshooting a bad movie to make it slightly less bad. Also, Rebecca Ferguson was pregnant during production, and due to these delays, by the end of filming, she was seven months, which is probably why it also goes from doing actiony stuff to just sort of walking around some corridors a bit because seven months pregnant which is crazy and that's all i got so our agent is ethan hunt looking pretty haggard now (laughs) but you know still running 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 good lord is he running 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 more of the like being held back by luther he's a loose cannon he's mythologized alec baldwin talking about him to his face about you're an incredible man there's something about the core of your being and it's like this has all gotten quite crazy (laughs) because it's just like there's not much to ethan as a human being and yet they've managed it's similar to Bourne, i guess where they've managed to take this theoretically blank canvas and turn it into this like almost iconic character in cinema (laughs) and it's yeah and more bickering with a rival agent and all that sort of stuff he can learn to pilot helicopters on the spot that's his new power yeah every film he will demonstrate some crazy ability that we didn't know he had before he is getting to the realms of just being superhuman but annoyingly if we are to believe the various stunt directors on these movies tom cruise is actually quite a lot like that in that he just learns to do these things and stop it stop (laughs) making us normies look bad So our mission, two years after the events of Rogue Nation, Ethan learns that the remnants of the Syndicate are now calling themselves the Apostles, and they are seeking to continue Solomon Lane's objectives, and they have stolen some nuclear material, blah blah blah. So, in Belfast, Ethan is briefed about the Apostles... They have been hired by... They're working with or... They've been hired by John Lark. To buy plutonium cores, yes. They will get some disgraced nuclear scientist turn into full bombs. And the Apostles never appear in this movie, Ben. They kind of do. I was sort of waiting for a shadowy room of 12 individuals a la Spectre or whatever, and I never got it. And I was like, oh, are we just saying the Syndicate are now called the Apostles and it's like, they're everyone, or... Yeah, no, I, I think I think it's just, they are just people, I, I don't know. That, I think that's the main confusing part, is by having John Lark and by having the Apostles as two separate organisations, Yes, it leads to a hell of a lot of confusion, especially when it turns yes. out that, <laughs> when it turns out that Lane is controlling them from behind the scenes to set up Ethan, so that Ethan's compromised. To get the, revenge on Ethan, but John Lark doesn't care about Ethan, John Lark wants to actually do things to the world, and I thought Solomon Lane did, and he kind of still does, but yeah. It's that main issue, is that like you think that John Lark is a member of the Apostles. Yes! But he's but he's not. <laughs> he's not. But he's he a is, separate person. But he is still apparently somewhat of a disciple of Lane, but then Lane controls the Apostles, so and then when we started getting into the like White Widow stuff, and I was just like sorry, what the fuck is happening right now? Like, <sighs> This no. is very much a movie where you just let it wash over you and just kind of go like, yeah it'll explain itself in the end, I'm sure. Yeah, I guess they do, but it's just, it's just I, I when watching it, I was sat there going, like, Matt's going to have an awful time trying to Jim, explain I'm, this I'm plot. glad you've known, <laughs> that you know me now. Starting off with the Julia wedding, with Sean Harris as the minister. Pretty wild choice, with the, like, disintegration effect and the skeleton and everything. Foreshadowing for our next miniseries. <laughs> 
they originally wanted this to be Alec Baldwin, but he wasn't available, so they got Sean Harris to do it. And I'm like, why the fuck didn't you want it to be Sean Harris in the first place? That's like actually thematically like relevant and everything. Yeah, I think I think my only disappointment with it is is that it's Sean Harris with beard, mm, which he couldn't possibly know he has. But Ethan yeah. is a dreamer and he's an empath, so more of his abilities are showing themselves. I knew that Michelle Monaghan was in Fallout, so I was like. Oh, okay, it's just a little cameo. So I was actually quite shocked to see her show up again at the end. Well, I mean, when when Lark pulls out the picture of her, I was like, oh, she's going to actually appear, isn't she? But, you know, I spent most of the movie, like, thinking that was it for her. This would be, like, at the end of Ghost Protocol when they, like, spy her across the thing. Yeah. She is an important person in Ethan's life. They need blood now to make the little your mission should you choose to accept it thing happen. I guess you can't be too careful after IMF got compromised by the syndicate last time. And it's nice to see that the self-destruct thing actually works this time after some that weren't working as yeah. well. Don't worry though, <laughs> if you're worried about this movie having things break on them in the middle of a mission. That's still happening. That's still happening. And so in Berlin, Ethan and Benji attempt to buy the plutonium before the apostles can, but they are ambushed and it is taken, so they have to trick this scientist into thinking that everything's gone ahead so that they so that he will lead them to John Lark. So, there are several points of the movie where it looks to me like they have been green screened because they look so much more prominent than the background and this is one of them, this little like tunnel area in Berlin and it will happen again and I was just like maybe they did film it on green screen maybe it's just the lens choices that are being made but I really don't like how this film looks in a lot of places and this is one of the main offenders for me this little scene here I mean so, so this is Rob Hardy doing cinematography who's most famous for being Alex Garland's cinematographer he did Ex Machina he did Annihilation both it, of which are very good looking movies yeah and I think it works when you're trading in that like sci-fi supernatural space but I don't know it just it looked wrong for the genre almost to me there are a lot of action scenes that look a lot better but just some of these really bothered me and I'm sitting there like are they even there? I mean obviously this is one of those things where like now Days movies are quite often shot. Mm. Some like when you do reshoots, you will probably just like green screen in, and you'll get coverage shots so you can superimpose them in later. It, it, it does look different because obviously Robert Ellsworth's done two movies in a row: Rogue Nation and Ghost Protocol. And so having someone who is more famous for working in more heightened genres, especially when uh, probably this level of action isn't as known to them, it does lend itself some like new challenges. And especially when like I mean, if you look at the trailer for Devs, which is airing at the moment, you'll mm. see how heightened the lighting and all the rest of it that you can imagine is going on behind the scenes whereas this is still quite a muted palette i do think this movie looks good i love i love the way this movie looks i didn't get any of the kind of like people looking out of place i don't i don't i I don't know maybe i need a bigger television or something to watch it on just buy a huge television yeah but i don't always watch everything on it okay some of them are watched on the smaller tv bedroom uh, bedroom TV even TV bedroom the classic bulletproof vest that can take more than one bullet trope not going to hold it against them so many movies do that so and they're tricking this scientist and they're very briefly going with yeah the Pope's dead they nuked Rome and Jerusalem and Mecca and it's like oh so we've blown up the Kremlin and now we're doing this but then it becomes painfully obvious and transparent that this is a giant bluff and they're doing the thing like it gets very melodramatic when he's like calling he's like yes 
so he says we have to read it on the air and everything it's like okay but still like i will always get that kick when they like drop all the walls and take off the masks and everything like calling back to the first scene in the first movie it's like okay yeah that's fun good spy shit my only issue with this scene is it's like in the briefing they go like this nuclear scientist gone missing and they find him very quickly yeah (laughs) someone who's supposed to be like hidden away and also i'm sorry but you're telling me with all the high-tech shit that benji and luther do they can't crack a phone open they need him to like open it for them with his passcode by this elaborate deception that just seems maybe he's got one of those things that like delete all the contents on it if they they, try and hack into it oh he's he's got the woman phone from sherlock okay yeah Yeah, okay then she finally gets to wear his mask he Uh, does he's wolf blitzer and he will wear another one (laughs) and an insanely late title card here 20 minutes into the movie i feel they maybe could have done it in 10 instead of 20 it's going to drop all these subtle bits it's just like the movie's too long every movie is too long every movie is too long every movie spends 20 minutes telling 10 minutes of story and just be better at editing so IMF Secretary Hunley gets big dogged by Erica Sloan of the CIA who insists her agent August Walker accompany Ethan on orders of the president and uh, they don't get along very well and nearly die doing a big skydive so uh, Alec Baldwin sounds like David Lynch and Twin Peaks when they're shouting over the uh, the plane engine that was that was pretty fun i really like you work with a scalpel i prefer a hammer henry cavill is just this big slab of meat and i do quite like that it's just like oh yeah he's not like fancy or slick but he will fuck you up and he's just like here to wreck shit and like i liked this dynamic early on i have my issues with the scene everyone likes that is coming up i do really like the general like dissing of the imf this is halloween grown men in masks and henry cavill being like do people actually fall for this shit when he wears the mask and he's talking about the mask and then of course he will fall for a mask later on i think all of that is pretty fun like the continued questioning of the imf but now it's now it's not so much like you know you guys go too far now it's like what you do is objectively quite silly and alec baldwin will later be like hey i can see why you guys like doing this and it's like yeah it is silly but it's fun so it's a good thing to pull out i think i think it's it's one of those things where the moment Henry Cavill comes onto this scene. He looks so impressive. It's and like it's Superman like, shape, baby. <laughs> that's the thing. But you look at it and you go like, oh, this is what they saw in him for Superman. Because for whatever reason, he doesn't have this kind of energy in any of his performances as Superman. And it's something that like, I don't know. It's just like, you you struggle to see why casting agents saw him as Superman. And then you see him in this movie. And even in you, you see him in The Man From Uncle, where playing someone a little bit gruffer, a little bit rough around the edges. Mm. He looks bigger and more imposing when he's wearing like normal person clothes yeah when people are wearing these superhero costumes it's like you assume that some of it is padding and like spray tan sprayed on abs and stuff and i know he was actually huge and like you see him shirtless in the movie and everything but just he still somehow seems more of a like force in this than he does in man of steel or justice league or batman v superman i mean obviously like you can see what people saw in him but also when you watch him in some of these movies and i'm sure if you see him in the witcher he's better when he's got an edge to him Mm -hmm. and it's fast like the fact they cast him as the big blue boy scout 
yeah. kind of doesn't make any sense yeah. when you see how good he is in this movie as the villain or everyone who I know has seen The Witcher says it is good casting he really doesn't give a fuck he's thrown himself into it and like he is very like <sighs> And yeah. it's like, and, yeah, complain and kill people. <laughs> and and obviously the stunt director who directed the scene that everyone really loves in the first episode of The Witcher is the stunt director on this movie. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, the, Do- the sword fight is done by the, the person who does the stunt work for Mission Impossible. Well, the sword fight's a lot better, so... <laughs> Alright. They do a big fucking halo jump through storm clouds. It made me think of Godzilla when they do that jump through the clouds and then like they descend and see the city and everything. I don't know. Images stick in my head that way. Very cool when they cut the sound out when one of them gets hit by lightning. Like, oh, is my TV broken? Oh, no, wait, it's art. It is art. It is art. It's good. And, you know, they they filmed this a hundred times because they insisted on it being dusk so they had three minutes or whatever to work with each day and crews spent a year training in skydiving and would do like four jumps a day and they do these huge stunts and so many of them are practical and it's like say anything you want about the plot and all of this this is undeniably impressive we were watching it and Sass was like, how did they film this? I was like, there's a guy holding a camera jumping out of a plane. How do you think they filmed it? <laughs> Cruz, for some reason, genuinely wants to die and keeps coming up with ways to almost kill himself. I think that's the thing. Is like they, they rehearsed this. They built one of the biggest air tunnels to like practice doing the stunts in so they could choreograph it properly. For some fucking reason in the movie, they have a camera guy behind the camera guy filming it for a behind-the-scenes video, which is so nuts. that They, they put this video online and you can watch the camera guy filming it and you're like right but the camera guy who's filming the camera guy has to know where they're going to be and also be like choreographed yeah. in, in the movie this scene brings me so much joy because I, don't, I I love to watch this franchise's insistence on making sure that all these action scenes feel real and going the extra mile to make them so spectacular and obviously like there is some cgi implementation in the scene where like when they jump through the clouds and the lightning strikes that's all cgi but if you watch the behind the scenes clip you see they descend a certain level of through the cloud and then they're out on the other side and the scene just resumes like there's like a two minute break or two second break for the cgi but the whole most of this shoot is one halo jump that tom cruise did because he is a crazy man did Henry Cavill do it as well? Uh, that one I'm not too sure on, because obviously he's not in the scene very much and is kind of unconscious mm. for an awful lot of the, the stunt, so I would not be surprised if Henry Cavill didn't. Tom Cruise definitely did, though. Oh, yeah, and Simon Pegg was like, yeah, I don't really like working with him because you're not sure he's going to be there the next day. <laughs> <laughs> this scene makes Walker look like a dipshit, and it's like, okay, that's fine. He's a hammer. He's a big slab of meat. He'll fuck people up when it's fight time, but he's maybe not as smart as Ethan. So I'm like, okay, we'll keep going. But it becomes a bit of a checklist for me of like, oh, he's not that, and he's not that, and he's not that, so why is he? I think my favourite part of it is obviously like he gets knocked unconscious by the lightning mm-hmm. and then obviously wakes up and his thing's being pulled and whilst obviously Ethan has saved his life on the descent because he's an idiot who rushed it and jumped into a thundercloud yes. I do like his like oh you've lost your oxygen tank because <laughs> like his bluff of just kind of going like no I, everything was fine on my descent down look at this idiot over here who lost his oxygen tank like <laughs> doesn't want to admit that he was knocked unconscious. Not sure how instead... I got from here to here but it seems to be fine so uh, I must have just done it brilliantly. <laughs> <laughs> just like, like that in the background. The other option is like maybe he was conscious the entire time and just wanted Ethan to dick around with him. So they've done this because 
is a big charity event by someone called the White Widow, who is Max from the first movie's daughter, which blew me away. She is an arms dealer fronting as a philanthropist who is going to meet with John Lark and arrange selling him the plutonium. They don't know what John Lark looks like, but everyone going to this event has an electric bracelet ID thing, and they have somehow acquired the signal for John Lark's one, so they're skydiving in. Why are they skydiving in? Why can they Because just... they need to be there in a short amount of time. They've got two hours to get to the event before just she leaves the, the stage. Just land the fucking plane and drive, you No, because they don't they'd have to land somewhere outside of Paris and they'd have to get inside. They're in Germany. They're in Berlin. They had two hours to get from Berlin to Paris. The halo jump was the only way. They're on a private plane. I think that's possible anyway. So they have to go in there, scan for John Lark's bracelet, make a mask of him, and then go to the deal as him, is what is yes. going on here. They believe they've found Lark, but Ilsa shows up and kills him, aiming for his chest. Maybe true, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> she helps them meet with the widow anyway, and they are offered the plutonium if they help extract Solomon Lane, who is being passed from government to government to interrogate him, essentially. So, the bathroom scene. It's so fucking good. It's fun. The whole, like, oh, there's a lot of people here, and, like, circling around trying to find him, and then, like, Ethan goes to grab him, and another dude steps between them, and then, like, when they've got him in the cubicle, and those dudes think that, like, some people are just fucking in, the th- <laughs> in one of the cubicles and want to join in. It's France. However, I have seen across the internet this moment, this gif. Where of, he reloads his fist. Where he reloads his arms. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. I bet he fucks people up. Nope. Gets his fucking ass. <laughs> kicked by John Lark, so I'm like... You've been complaining in every movie up till now that Ethan is too good at fighting. Yes. You do not get to throw it back at them when they finally have someone who's better at fighting than them. No, no, I don't mind mind if this dude fucks Ethan up. But like, (laughs) right, so you've got Big Walker here, and we don't know he's the villain yet, although somewhat transparent. He's clearly a bit dumb. So I'm like, okay, he must just be a big fucking fighter. I'm like, oh, he's cocking his fist and he's getting up and he looks pissed. He is going to wreck him and he doesn't. So it's like, so what is he good at then? I think the entire thing is like, he is a hammer, which means he comes in with like, he can punch good, but his aim <laughs> is to like, his aim is to punch you in the face like three times and knock <sighs> you up cold. Whereas okay. the guy who they've hired to play Lark is, is... someone who is like more precision yes. and will like kick you and like keep you away and keep you distance. Yes. And... Emily Blunt's uh, stunt double on Edge of Tomorrow. Somehow. Wait, wait, what? I know, I guess they wear power armor, don't they? So maybe in a couple of those scenes, he's a slight man? I don't know. He's Uh, good. Yeah, he's good. Takes a briefcase to the face really well. That was a cool moment. I was like, oh, that's fun. Like, Ethan's trying to, like, syringe him and he just fucking batters him with this case and then he's broken the computer they need to make the mask. I also think it's, like, an unwritten thing here should be assuming that Walker is not doing 100% of what he needs to do to, like, play along. Because he does break the laptop. That's true. He does all these things that, like, would vaguely compromise the mission. Yes. Did Elsa deliberately kill him? Because uh... she says I was aiming for his chest, and it's like, I'm sorry, but most of what we've seen so far is you're another Ethan, you're hyper-capable, you don't... To be this. fair, she does miss Lane several times when she's shooting at the car later on in the movie. Did she miss, or is it like... She got his ear. Very bulletproof. Okay, I guess. Because she's very like, I can't tell you why I'm here, I can't tell you what I'm doing. But then later on, doesn't she reveal she's trying to protect Lark, not kill him? She wants to get to the point where, like, they three Lane so she can kill Lane. She wants to kill Lane, yeah. So she's trying to protect Lark, but she started off by ostensibly killing him. Yes. Um, Okay, cool. So Ilsa... (laughs) 
add Ilsa to the list of gadgets that aren't working, I guess. Um, <laughs> but cool to see her back. She's wearing a suit. That's very nice. Into that. White Widow is Max's daughter. And I like that we made this big deal about Max in our first episode. Like, who the fuck is Max? What is Max's deal? And you were sitting there knowing <laughs> that Max will in some way, shape or form come back. I had to actually break radio silence with you and be like, is the Max they're talking about the Max? And you were like, yeah. Yup. <laughs> and thus um, Kirby's back for Mission Possible 7. I was going to say, like, they, it seems to be set up at the end that she is still going to be in play and we obviously are going to have the original IMF secretary coming back. So maybe there'll be more reference to Max. I, I don't know. We might find out who she actually fucking is. But yeah, that's fun. Uh, Vanessa Kirby's great in this film, I think. Yeah. A really, like, hypnotic villain-type performer. And it's like, this charity event, I don't know if everyone in the room knows she's an arms dealer, but it's like, if someone was giving a public speech to me and they gave it like this, I'd be like, is she gonna kill us all? Because <laughs> she's so, like, evil. Yeah, she's I think, great, but it's like... Um... Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. Is like, your complaint with Rogue Nation, or one of your complaints with Rogue Nation, was, like, watching it and kind of go, like, oh, by having one hyper-competent woman, they've kind of lost the room. Yes. For other hyper-competent women. Yes, I and agree I th- with your assessment. That I think this may be the single best movie for female agency, even if overall the franchise, we, we agreed it might actually be born somehow, yes. some way. But yeah, this movie really handles it. Like, they've brought Rebecca Ferguson back. You've got this White Widow character who's really cool. Angela Bassett, you know, limited role, but really cool. And I still wish she'd managed to bring back Maggie Q and uh, Paula Sure, Patton, I think, I think that's, I yeah. think that's the, the big white well of the franchise. It's like, some of these Paula Patton, Maggie these characters who kind of got dumped after one movie appearances that you kind of wish they did more with but you can also understand why they're not Macquarie's babies in the same way that like he did make them the offers for Rogue Nation and they just couldn't make it they could have quite easily had them on the team as well or one of them maybe there are a lot of women listed under the cast for the next two movies as well like Pom Clementif and and various other people Uh, and I think every all the women in this one are well no Rebecca Ferguson's returning and uh, Vanessa Kirby's returning so good stuff and yeah I'm not gonna have I don't think anything bad to say in the female agency category this week so that might actually oh my God, be a first 15 movies we made it I know <laughs> we did it I'll think of something don't worry and they just really really murder a bunch of people in public in front of a lot of witnesses don't they they do <laughs> and then uh, when they take Ethan and Walker back to their little like stately home to like plan the, the heist for the next day and you see it playing out over over this like hyper stylized music and everything it's a really cool like visual of like ethan is one of the people doing the raid and they have to kill all these policemen and like he really doesn't want to do it and then you're like oh no this is hypothetical and for a minute i was like oh this is how it's actually playing out that's kind of cool and then it snaps back and it's like oh not that it, you don't get two cool scenes out of it but you know yeah and he finds out that because all he knows is white widow is arranging a swap plutonium for something and then he finds out the something is solomon lane and it's like oh Oh uh, shit, I've just been having dreams about this man. I am a magician. Walker manages to meet with Sloane between <laughs> scenes and shares his theory that Ethan is John Lark, which the second he said that, I was like, well, you're fucking John Lark then, aren't you? 
<laughs> because yeah, I mean, like... and then, but he then gives he then gives Erica his like the phone that they got off the body of John yes, Mark, and it's pristine. completely fixed. Yeah, and the one that Ethan pulled out of his pocket was smashed as well. Yes, I did notice that. But also, you know, they say it seems like John Mark is an American, or like we we have reason to believe John Mark is American. Like, well, it's e- it's obviously not Ethan, so it's you, isn't it? Because that's how films work. You only have like a certain number of characters, so one of them has to be prominent. But you know, still good stuff him like asserting that Ilsa killed the double to make it look good in front of him as a witness and referencing how many times Ethan's been fucked over by the government and stuff and and you know we will keep doing this storyline of Ethan's gone rogue I think literally all of them except two (laughs) yeah two is the only one he just straight up works for IMF and nothing's going I like all the little meta commentary. Oh yeah, yeah, I do, I, do. I, I do as well, definitely. I think that's one of the best things Macquarie has brought is continuity, and it doesn't have to be. Well, this is probably the most continuity-heavy one, like as in you could watch all the other ones without having seen any of the others, and you'd get it all. This I, is the first like direct sequel. Yeah, I think you would struggle if you hadn't seen Rogue Nation if you watched Fallout, because who is Ilsa and and what is this and what is that and who's Solomon Lane? <laughs> yeah, like w- like you wouldn't struggle necessarily without having seen Mission Impossible Three, but. Yeah, I think Rogue Nation kind of is required for this one. So the extraction goes ahead. The IMF get Lane. Elsa tries to kill him. A lot is going on. There's a big chase. Uh, Good chase. A good chase, yes. Walker guesses that Ethan caught Lane, and thus this plan is doomed. He's like, holy shit, you're the one that got him, aren't you? It's like, yeah, he's definitely not going to keep that to himself when he sees you, is he? So they have to, like, pull off a heist within the heist, and also it it will stop White Widow's brother and his people just murdering a bunch of policemen so there's that as well they wedge this truck into an alley that is like too narrow to get through and then go through the the window onto these bikes it's really it's just really fun like just i don't know something satisfying about this thing getting stuck and then it acts as a roadblock as well and i mean there's so much cool stuff up leading up to the scene like what's the what's the thing that they're going to get them get the cut the police convoy to go down to the path they wanted to go down on it's like oh we'll just have a guy turn the wheel really fast and like tip up a 16 wheel truck in the middle of the road yep (laughs) which which the police will see happening they won't come across this truck in the middle of the road they will literally watch this truck flip and turn Mm. over and then like ramming the truck into the water which rolls and then sean harris had to actually hold his breath a bit the bike chase I'm kind of 50-50 on it because in some ways I think it looks really fake but then they convey this really impressive sense of speed like genuinely like oh fuck he's going so fast and we've got more of the like camera narrowly like attached to the side sort of semi point of view type stuff returning from Rogue Nation which I really liked there just some of like when he's weaving through traffic I'm not asking Tom Cruise to actually drive headlong at real traffic like that's a bit much but some of this looked a bit they've CGI'd some cars in for I think I think that's what they did is that they had they had Tom Cruise drive this at full speed and then they would put the cars in later yeah it's exhilarating overall so I'm being a bit nitpicky, but just a lot of times throughout this movie, it struck me that it's a little bit more CGI and green screeny than they've been before, and that did somewhat bother me. But yeah, an insane sense of speed. Like it seems like he's going 200 miles an hour and is about to break the sound barrier. He's going so fast. 
weaving in and out and, and swerving around and like flying off the bike and then it seems like they've got him but he goes down through a little is it like a drainage pipe or like the fountain has been it's yeah it's just down into like the river underneath and yeah he, like, he cuts cuts it and falls down there where benji and luther are sat there in the boat with lane then briefly getting past the police like hello we're just tourists and then they have to turn around and go get ethan as well i love 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 the shot and obviously it's in all the trailers but the shot of lane in the car as it gets sinking into the water and him kind of like taking those three breaths while this vertical wall yeah. of Water yeah, yeah, yeah. to sense of him. It's <laughs> yeah. it's so good. Yeah, they had to roll a truck in like a wet thing and, and yeah, yeah. And it seemed like the plan here was like this was all deliberate and it's to make sure they can get some time away from Walker, but then Walker is there when they all rendezvous up. So I was like, Oh, okay, I guess it just genuinely went a bit wrong then. But that's fine, because they always have extra steps plotted in. We get this random female police officer who stumbles across them and White Widow's crew show up and shoot her and then Ethan, as Hunley says to him earlier on, like, you can't weigh one person's life against thousands or millions or whatever. Like, it's a, it is impossible for you to let one person die for the greater good. So, like, he fucks himself over by murdering. Does he kill her brother or is it just his men? He just kills her men because her okay. brother's there later on. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Oh, yeah, because they're like, yeah, Zola wants a word with you. It's a very tense moment, and it's like, this is who Ethan is in a nutshell. Walker would be like, oh, just let her die. Yeah, it's it's the M mentality. It's it's like what Angela Bassett is saying earlier on. It's like, you know, you've got to do this kind of thing for the, for the greater good and everything, but Ethan can't. He has to have it both ways. Like, he has to save everybody. And that's good stuff. Pretty clear this sniper is Ilsa before they reveal it to her, but still very cool more of the like again the sense of speed as they're chasing her down more of the tight angles again like all really good stuff like i don't know how Macquarie makes these chases feel faster than most car chases feel but he sure does and and it's really cool and like you know rebecca ferguson like seeing her do all of this knowing the kind of roles she normally takes it's like this is this must have been really fun for her she's wearing like the big yellow dress and now she's a sniper now she's a biker now she's doing this now she's wearing a suit and like yeah it's all it must have been really fun for her and like it's a cool character that she's like slightly distant always watching type presence in Ethan's life who just shows up and wrecks things for him and steals his heart she's just really good yeah she is Solomon has this little monologue about how terrorists are schoolboys and he doesn't care what people think or feel he just cares about like the state of the world and it's like this is way better than any equivalent monologue he gave in Rogue Nation now I'm like oh this dude's a great villain I'm all in now he's like this weird Cossack monk man who is like like, I kill everyone just because. Resigning himself to his end and everything. Like, yeah, it's... He seemed like a sort of... I don't know. He's He was a little bit lacking for me last time. And, and now I'm like, okay, yeah, this is cool. Like, this is a good little speech he's given. Yeah, and then they, it's like... The beard. Yeah, the it's beard is most of it. And then the little, uh, the little outfit he wears. So, the White Widow tells them, go to London with Lane. I also want Ilsa now. And then I will will do the trade for the plutonium. Secretary Hunley shows up, reveals White Widow, informs the CIA for immunity. They think Ethan is Lark. He terminates the mission, and it seems like Ethan goes rogue, but it's all revealed to be a deception to trick Walker, who is, of course, John Lark. Before this, Ilsa follows Ethan around Paris a bit. It is Paris, right? Before, yeah. And the the big row of trees. I feel I should know where this is, but I don't. Isn't it where they do the scene 
in Inception? Oh, potentially, yeah, yeah. But it's just it's very striking, like seeing Tom Cruise in the distance and in these like these avenues of trees, and then they walk in parallel, and yeah, it's it's just very pretty and everything. She's been ordered to kill Lane to stop British secrets getting out because Britain are the worst. Obviously, we uh, we can't let people know what we do with MI6 and James Bond. That's have- the thing is, it is all tie into James Bond at this uh, point. Of course, it is one hundred percent. There's another Julia dream. They are mounting. Hunley being so pissed off about all of this, and like, I don't know, there's, it's a fun little. I like this. Hunley shows up to like roast them, and then all this, this entire little exchange, and like Benji briefly being like, why do I have to do it? And then Luther's like, um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm the only one, you're the only one who can do it. Yeah. The comment about Ethan stealing smallpox from the CDC, again, that's either Chimera or it's the rabbit's foot. It's got to be one of those. Ethan can... I, 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 either that or it's just like they're, they're implying that he stole it like off screen or whatever it is. Yeah. I guess. But it'd be fun if it is a tie-in. The rabbit's foot was clearly some kind of biological thing. It, it clearly was. Yeah. Ethan continues. They can't have him say the rabbit's foot though in this movie. Everyone will be like, the <laughs> fuck's the rabbit's foot? You'll find out. And there's like one person in the audience going like, yeah, rabbit's foot. <laughs> it's us doing this podcast. Ethan continues to look fucking crazy when it comes to Lane because he's like, that's exactly what he would want to happen. You don't know how he thinks. Only I know how he thinks. And like, obviously this is all for show to make Walker believe it. But like, you know, while I'm watching it in real time, I'm like, dude, you are doing a bad job of shaking off these allegations that you're like in too deep on this stuff and then yeah i love that walker he thinks to take the little camera off the wall but then he doesn't take into account the giant fucking computer behind him <laughs> but, you know it's fun him like dropping the first f-bomb in mission impossible why do you have to make this so fucking complicated all that that's all good stuff complaining about the plot of this movie and it's all because like again the plot of this movie would be fairly easy because it'd be just like the apostles sell lark a plutonium bomb and he goes and detonates them and irradiates a third of the world's water supply bing bang bosh done simple that's but instead all the elements that are lane trying to tag ethan with this yes make it so much more complicated than it needs to be obviously step one of making this movie less complicated have lark and the apostles be the same group Uh uh-huh is is step one of how to make this movie more simple but the meta commentary of him going like god everything we are doing with hunt here is pointless yeah i will say though that like because Ethan has been established to be so weird and he knows so many things and he's done so many deep undercovers and lived so many alternate lives that for it is plausible if it weren't so obvious that it is Walker that Ethan could be this like notorious person that no one knows who it is like it, forget John Locke at any point in this franchise if they raise some person that's like oh no one knows what they look like but they're this notable whoever it's like it could very well be Ethan <laughs> I think that is one of the most interesting things about the character is like he is such an enigma mm-hmm. and we know so little about his life that they could quite easily go like yeah he's evil now and it's why I think Lane works and it's why I think Walker works as villains it's because they are fundamentally like much like Ethan in terms of like kind of hyper competent people who have become disillusioned yeah this is definitely a point where I ask myself how is there an hour left in the movie Sloan reneges on the deal with Hunley she's listening in and she's like ah Walker fuck you she sends in her men to retrieve all of them and she's like yeah I will have Lane I will have Plutonium I want Walker I want all of this but then most of them in fact work for the Apostles so Walker is able to turn them Walker kills Hunley gets away Ethan does his best to chase him down but he does get away Luther 
tags Walker so that they can do this fun running scene where, like, Benji is looking at a top-down view that he has the wrong way up and he has it in 2D mode, so he can't tell that Ethan is, like, several- is, like, two stories up from Walker, so when he's like, why are you stopping? He's like, I'm about to jump out of a window. He's like, why? He's like, oh shit, sorry man. And he's like, turn left. He's like, left? (laughs) I'm like, in a building, there's only forward. That's all fun stuff. I can't believe Tom Cruise is 56 at this point. Just sprinting constantly. Like, we talk about Tom Cruise running in all his movies. I feel this is like a step beyond, because he's just going from sprinting scene to sprinting scene to sprinting scene. These long takes as well, where it's very clearly actually him, and I mean, I'm not saying they would get a body double to run for him but I mean I feel you would achieve this in a lot of movies by doing like a lot of cuts and extreme close-ups so that they don't have to run as much as they seem like they are and even when he goes when he meets Julia at the end and he's like sorry I've got to go and then he sprints off around the corner (laughs) it's just like did McQuarrie just go like yeah all right run but yeah this I love that they left it in the take where he broke his ankle where he jumps between the two buildings and he shorts it a little bit and then he gets back up and he tries to run and he's hobbling and it's like this is real he broke his ankle and was trying to run and it's just it's so intense and it's like wild they left that in and this entire sequence in this movie is filmed right by my office oh, okay <laughs> like the entire thing from the moment they pull up in london and go into the little underground bit where they have all the confrontation underground that is where my partner and i used to get lunch at work oh really <laughs> if, like if it was raining we would go into the alcove and like right. eat lunch in there if it wasn't raining we would sit on the steps of St Paul's which they run up in the way into the into the cathedral well, yeah he runs through this like funeral doesn't he yeah he does he runs through a, cathedral, a, a funeral um, he then jumps all over the buildings the walkway that Walker walks on to go across Blackfriars Bridge is right by my office the building that he breaks his ankles on is the office in which I work I thought it was like a BT building isn't one of these like an old it is, BT? The, B, it is the BT building it is where the office is uh, that okay. I work in if anyone wants building. to murder Ben you know <laughs> have the capacity to do it yes uh, five days a week yeah. um <laughs> he's safe for two of them and then yeah and then it's originally and this is this is uh from people in the office apparently they wanted to film the scene where he throws the um chair. The, the, the chair through the window in our office itself wow um, but obviously they would have to remove a lot of branding that would have made them like to to do that and so instead they did it I think it was on one of the upper floors that was like um, okay. more agreeable or, wow. or whatever yeah. so this movie very much like I can look out my window and I have the exact view of like Tom Cruise running that he had okay. and it's, it's incredibly surreal to watch this movie and, yeah. and a hell of a lot of movies that came out in like a 12 month window filmed in this particular area of London why? <laughs> no idea Men in, Black Inter- Men in Black International Paddington 2 Fantastic Beasts 2 Mission Impossible Fallout and like my partner and I would just go to the cinema and just go like oh look they filmed that at work oh look they filmed that at work oh look they filmed that at work that's so strange that's why you like this movie so much it's a personal bias this is where I think the movie kind of tips from being like really good and similar to Rogue Nation to being kind of what I want from these kind of movies where Walker won't shoot him because he knows that Lane's got more stuff for him to do he shows him the picture of Julia and then the movie just kind of like I just think it, it goes up another level I love the entirety of this last sequence there's so much at stake and like it's one of those things where it doesn't feel like artificial stakes like there's a dourness to everything that goes on over these next few scenes because not only is it a suicide mission which they're all very much aware of like we are going to try and defuse a nuclear bomb Mm. or two nuclear bombs that are apparently impossible but then the slow dawning that like the reason there's a medical camp where they're going to is because julia is there they've contrived
contrived it to have it happen there. Um, and and I mean, and it the movie does the cheap trick. Obviously, they've killed Alec Baldwin. And it's very much similar to the trick that Joss Whedon pulls in Serenity, where let's kill a character off to make you feel like this movie's got stakes. <laughs> but um, no one too important. <laughs> no one too important. Like, like we'll kill the seventh person down on the car sheet. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be one of the main people, but enough to make you feel like, oh no, we're playing the keeps here. Although, like killing off one of the recurring characters, even though Alec Baldwin's only been in one movie. Well, I just did kill Wash, and that was... That hurt. But he literally says in the commentary, like, the reason they killed Wash is because it's like... Who's who the biggest non-consequential character we could kill? And yeah. to make you feel like this entire last sequence in which we're going to try and kill off everyone yeah. feels like there are stakes. Yeah. Like, you can't kill Mal, you can't kill River, you can't kill Zoe, but you can kill Wash. <laughs> Do you want to plug... No, it's a less no. good podcast. Uh, Alright, fine. Go listen to Firefly Now and Serenity later on into the robot.com where we talk about Firefly and Serenity. So, yes, they track Lane to Kashmir, where Julia and her husband are working at this relief camp, and, like, if they set the nukes off here, it will, like, irradiate the water that feeds, like, a third of the world or whatever, and it will it will just fuck up, like, a third of the world's population, essentially, and, like, yes, they have contrived it so Julia and her husband, like, got a call out of nowhere to arrange for them to come here and everything, and it's to put pressure on Ethan, basically. Luther gives a little speech to Ilsa about Ethan cares about two people. One of them was his wife. She's like, oh, she's, he's married? Oh, not that I care, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he gives this little speech about, like, what happened with Julia and the reason he faked Julia's death and everything and how every time something bad happened, he was like, could I have stopped it? And this idea that, like, he had to leave Julia so that he could keep saving the world. And it's like, this is such a, like, melodramatic, like, movie-type thing but it is good and it does very much work with what we've seen and like it works with what we saw in 3 before the first time we even met Julia at the beginning where he's like lying in bed and it's just like I want to live this normal life however I fucking love being a crazy spy man I can't stay here because someone who I know in the job needs saving by me so I will go save this person yeah but then the kicker here is and the other one is you and you are making this complicated so go away please essentially (laughs) but then she just fully does not she gets even more involved. Cool that the IMF are planning to do the exact same thing the CIA were going to do. Kind of makes things feel a little bit overly let's all turn on each other E. But hey. He comes face to face with Julia. And it was very unexpected for me. Obviously, they've got the picture. There's been the recurring dreams. It's like, all right, maybe there'll be a small cameo. And I'm like, but there's half an hour of movie left or more at this point. 40 minutes, probably. And then she's just standing behind him. And, like, they know that she's probably going to... Or I feel we know she's probably going to be here somewhere. But, like, for him to find her almost immediately, it's like, oh, shit. And the husband is there and he's having to bullshit this story. And, like, while the husband is talking to Ethan, I really love this moment where Julia looks to her right and Benji and Luther are just like gawping at her like what the fuck and then she it's, just yeah it's, it, it's two elements of the scene is the first one where she goes oh this is this is a friend he's on holiday and Ethan goes no I'm, I'm working I'm, I'm working <laughs> and then uh, so immediately she goes like fuck looks to her right sees two people who she knows mm. who'd only be here if the world was in like dire straits and random ass woman all of whom look stressed yes they're like oh no <laughs> I think it's, it's such a good wordless 
ridiculous letting you realize just how like she gets it immediately and yeah. like understands how much shit they're in if her ex-husband and his entire team of cohorts are with them in this part of the world yeah and then luther notices that the bomb has been partially like they've hidden it in a radio tower like it looks like it's just part of that radio tower it's like hang on and then ethan as i said he like runs off around this corner and it looks kind of funny just seeing him always running everywhere but yeah this is, like, i mean like i mean Mission Impossible three is the is the running movie but this is like a close second i feel this has got more running in the mission impossible three oh, mission impossible three is got the entire sequels where he runs across china yeah and it also has that one where he runs from the hospital or whatever. But yeah. this just, I feel there's so much sustained running in this as well. There is an awful lot of sustained running in this. <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise likes running. Apparently. Is he just on this mission to prove that he's like fit and physically capable uh, and he's like fighting for other time or something? Because it's like, dude, you've got nothing to prove. You're Tom Cruise. Like, do what you want. And apparently, what he wants is to just like hurl himself out of planes and run. Yeah. But, you know, go off. I'm not going to kink shame you. So. They're working against a 15-minute timer on the bombs. They can only turn the bombs off if they are first turned on. So they have to let them arm them with the detonator and then get the detonator and disarm the bombs and there are two of them and they don't know where the other one is so they're working against all of this they obviously pull it off ethan kills walker benji and ilsa take down lane and luther coordinates them disarming them but in the meantime ethan has to climb up a rope onto a helicopter and we get a lot of funny little one-liners here where ilsa's like how's he gonna get up there or like what's he doing and benji's like i find it best not to look um that's good stuff she asks oh you can fly a helicopter and then it's like lol no he absolutely cannot fly a helicopter but like that was left unsaid when julia is helping luther with the bomb and he's like giving her the wrong directions or whatever and she's like i just wanted to be sure and then she's like oh i like her and it's like because she d- she wants to be sure because you're working with a fucking nuclear bomb i guess like <laughs> no it's because like he goes like is it in- it's in my left hand and he goes like your left hand it contains this thing <laughs> yeah it's like the like, the red wire the in my is- left hand is like oh I mean the right, the black wire on my right hand. Yeah. <laughs> when Ethan does get into the helicopter, there's a dude that looks like a knockoff Henry. Like it's another dude with a mustache, and they're just awkwardly looking at each other for a second before they fight. That's that's quite fun. Better than a helicopter fight in uh, Spectre. Well, yeah, but what isn't? <laughs> I still found it a bit overlong and unnecessary. Like this is I, the point. I, I, I'm I I'm like getting they're... tired. I'm like oh must we as he like rams his helicopter with his helicopter and they're shooting and jumping and killing and i'm just like (sighs) i just i i love this scene because i love when henry cavill realizes or walker realizes that that ethan is flying the other helicopter he just kind of does a little sigh he's just like god this fucking guy will not leave me alone i want to be done with this i want my nuclear bomb to go off so i can stop the world and i like that ethan is like messing up he's like ah I missed or whatever and he's like yeah that's right you prick and it's like this feels very not Ethan like but I guess once we do one big swear we can do another one I suppose but then he just reaches behind him picks up like an artillery rifle he's like alright <laughs> yeah I was like ah fuck <laughs> and then just start shooting the, the biggest fucking gun with tracer bullets as well just so we can see how close he comes to hitting him they do a bunch of bullshit and then they fist fight on a fucking cliff with a walker's got like a completely wrecked face and yeah because he got helicopter fuel directly to the face which yeah. just burnt his face up this scene reminds me an awful lot of the final confrontation in loss between <laughs> the man in black and jack yeah <laughs> except Oof, there isn't like yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Except there isn't like the cut to the advert in between Jack doing like a like a ground pound essentially. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know how much you remember the last finale. Apparently, it's, it's, it's a blur. Um, I remember that very very clearly though. Did you did you watch the trailer for this movie before you watched this? <sighs> Possibly. There's a, there's a shot in it of Ethan like flying headfirst into a, like a 16 wheeler truck whilst in the helicopter that oh. obviously they cut out and I was trying to figure out where they would cut it from. I assume it's like when the thing's telling him to pull up and stuff like that. And like apparently the uh, original version was he was supposed to almost crash into a into a giant truck. Oh. Be happy that they cut that out. <laughs> the movie. I feel like you'd be more annoyed if there was more like could... random bullshit in this scene. Yeah, they could have cut a lot of this out. I think there's a lot more to this scene than what was on yeah. the film. In a shorter movie where it's not we're not at like 2 hours 15 and counting I would not be as impatient about this and like when I say and then they fist fight on a cliff and he's got like a burnt face I say that and I'm like that sounds cool and I'm like no but you remember you you hated it it's just you know we have worn out my patience at this point and I, that's that's what makes stuff me so that sad. I think that, like, should be good. I'm like, ah. it feels like you're not not liking it because it's bad. You're not liking it. I because do think there are parts you're that not are bad. engaged enough. I do think there are parts of it that are bad. I think some of the right the dialogue is not good. I think Alec Baldwin briefing Ethan at the beginning is some real bad dialogue. I mean, he's an exposition machine yeah. in a movie in which they have an exposition machine literally that comes to reveal the plot to you, <laughs> to then have another human character give you more of an exposition dump like two scenes later what I was interested in was Lane, Ilsa and Benji I, I really <sighs> like this scene like Lane has been this guy that is just a mwahaha villain and you forget this dude was like a top MI6 operative and he fucking messes them up and it almost hangs Benji it, it's wild but they, they do take him down but it's a fun little little scene there and Luther telling Julia go be with your husband there's nothing more you can do all of that like they have a nice moment and she like she like stroke his face or something <laughs> but cutting to white and silence unclear if they've succeeded and obviously they've succeeded but it's like this is a you know it's so many movies you know they stop it at one and you just see the close-up of the countdown on one and you're just like oh we did it and this was a different way of handling that trope and it, i think it is effective of like it, it, i think I, I like the double part of it because it fades to white or it cuts to white and obviously like luther's told julia to go be with her husband because she has nothing else she can do they've had the bickering about like do we cut it at two or do we cut it at one because <laughs> That's a second we won't is, get back. <laughs> this team is dysfunctional, but great. And I love the chemistry that they all have. But then it's the fact that Ethan's hanging off the cliff. He's still hanging below the cliff. So you think, shit, has he not got to the got to the detonator device? <laughs> Imagine if you just see a shot of him hanging off the cliff and then two mushroom clouds. That's the, the thing. Is, and like the camera pans in such a way that you're not sure if it's the sun or if it's a mushroom cloud. What before panning into him ending. And him spitting out the, the detonator that he's yeah. supposed to get out. And yeah. it's good. What a depressing ending that would be. Just it would be so depressing. Every major character except Ethan died. The world is fucked. His ex-wife is dead. Yeah, All his friends are dead. Apart from Brant. Brant is still out Brant there. Brant is his one. Or at one, an arrow flies from off screen and hits the detonator. And then he's no. there in his Hawkeye no. costume. Instead, his ex-wife survives and they have their little moment. And I don't know how I feel about her like thanking him sincerely for this like best life. It's like you are like massively in like quasi witness protection because you were in constant danger, and like this man you married is just like out there potentially dying every day. Like yeah, but she's married a new man who's like the most milk toast of men, even if he is yeah. out in Kashmir helping 
third world countries. That man enjoys hiking, doesn't he? <laughs> that is a dude that has gone slacklining or whatever. It's a fun little emotional thing, you know, like her essentially saying that goodbye to him and then what did Ilsa whisper to her? You know, like, yo, can I hit that? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess we find out. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Ethan has just saved them from recreating When the Wind Blows. <laughs> Is that maybe the most niche British reference I could have made? It's up there, for sure. I think it's all on YouTube. If you want to go spend <laughs> half an hour being really fucking depressed, go watch When the Wind Blows. Okay, we'll all go do that. And then our movie ends with, you know, Sloane agrees to give Lane over to MI6, so Ilsa is freed, so she's now definitely an IMF agent, isn't she, in the next movie? Yeah! <laughs> Everybody wins. Although I am a little bit sick of this trope of characters doing a full 180 on Ethan and the IMF and deciding after being like you're a fucking liability and you're rogue and you're this and you're that and you're a dinosaur and then like you are so necessary we are so lucky to have you <laughs> you're the person that thinks about the one person so i don't have to like i swear to god if angela bassett is the secretary of the imf in the next movie and then dies at the end of that movie and then whoever like was against them in the next movie is the new imf secretary no no we all know the secretary of the imf is going to be kittredge in the next movie yeah because was he actually the secretary in the first one or was he i just... don't think he was uh, what I think he was just like someone who worked for the IMF. Are people gonna remember who Kittredge is? Uh, I do. I mean, I do, and and you do. We've been doing this podcast. When he tweeted that image out, how many people actually got that? Like, it got thousands of likes. I know it did, but these are quite popular now. I, I don't know. It's... I think I think that's the thing is it's these movies are now quite popular in a way that they it kind of felt like they weren't. I feel the first one was but... the first one's like a, a, I think a cultural touchstone, and I think Mission Impossible Two, whilst being the highest grossing one of them in the US did some irreparable damage to this franchise. It was like we made a terrible movie and then we filled it up with Tom Cruise's mid 2000s career and <laughs> personal life. And these yeah. two things kind of coalesced and you're like, well, the Mission Impossible franchise is going to die because how yeah. can you outlive? Let's never forget that in the background of these movies getting kind of better. He is still a crazy Scientologist, man. I think this is his franchise. This is the one that he has creative control over yeah. and casting and is sat in the room making creative decisions and I think it's like obviously he's gotten more scared as time has gone on because he's not using different directors enough and we're now firmly in the point where like he is working with the same four or five directors Top Gun Maverick is being made by uh, Joseph Kaczynski who he did uh, Oblivion with and Chris McCrory is obviously directing multiple of these movies and he likes Doug Liman and Someone has like, to. He- <laughs> But he's, like, working with these same three or four directors repeatedly. And somehow, even though I don't think anything... Like, he's making good movies apart from these. Like, I like Edge of Tomorrow an awful lot. The first Jack Reacher is good. The Mummy's obviously an unmitigated disaster. But he has this touchstone franchise that he keeps getting to come back to. And whilst it means that his career is a lot less interesting than it was 10, 20 years ago, where he's doing weird stuff and working mm. with directors who are interesting. This is for my for my money the best action franchise going on right now. And he has kind of like single-handedly made it into that. And I think it's impressive especially when you realise the kind of adversity and the weird constraints he seems to be applying to himself by limiting who he's working with to do these. But Keanu Reeves is a much better person than Tom Look, Cruise. I mean, yeah, Keanu Reeves is great. I'm so excited for John Wick 4. I'm excited for Matrix 4. I'm hoping that Bill and Ted 3 is good <laughs> there's um, no way that's good <laughs> but that's the thing is it's like it, it's kind of two 90s guys who against all odds mm. are now the biggest action stars on the planet 
I know, that really, is wild. Outside of, outside of comic books, both of whom are, like, in the later years of their career, in terms of being able to do this. And then you also look, Daniel Craig is, like, almost 50, and Robert Downey Jr. is, like, is he almost 60? Like, yeah. all these huge names... And but then like, you think, like, who have we got coming up? It's like, I'm not going to go line up to see a fucking Jai Courtney movie. <laughs> yes, you will. You will go and see Jai Courtney. And John Legendson. Hollywood has lost the ability to make leading men that are this interesting. And people who are willing to do the kind of crazy stuff that some of these people do, especially Tom Cruise, mm. that you look at the kind of like up-and-coming crop of talent who do action movies, and none of them are as charismatic or inherently interesting on screen as Cruise or Craig or Reeves or even Damon, who is the least charismatic of the three that we've been covering for this. And you watch them attempt to build it, and the person they pick is fucking Jeremy Renner. <laughs> two of these <laughs> franchises. All this talk about Idris Elba should be the next Bond. It's like, motherfucker, Idris Elba is not a young man. <laughs> yeah. Chris Hemsworth, he's reasonably young, isn't he? If Michael B. Jordan was British, he would mm. be my pick. It's that kind of person you want to pin an action but like, when we're, Yeah, when we're talking about action people, like, yeah, I, Michael B. Jordan is, like, one of the biggest stars that has come along. Chris Hemsworth is probably, in terms of, like, manufacturing a star, like, I think it's really come together for him in a big, big way where he's a, he's an A-lister now. Although Men in Black, big, big fail. Although, did that make money? Probably didn't make money. But no, it's just, it's just that you look at, like, the people who they are trying to make into these stars, and again, it's it's Joe Courtney, Joel Kinnaman, yeah, kind of like <laughs> wet bread, <laughs> and like it's basically, basically just look up anyone who they've tried to cast in a Terminator movie in the male roles for the last decade. Sam Worthington, yeah, yeah. and it's just like why are we trying to get? It? But Sam Worthington's going to come back, and he's going to have three of the biggest or four of the biggest movies of all time coming up. I will be very disappointed in the world if Avatar two, three, and four are as big as Avatar one. I think you're going to be surprised about what James Cameron has pulled out of his ass in the last 11 years. Fuck James Cameron so hard. He's good. Make good movies. James Cameron has only got one bad movie to his name. He made the second best Terminator movie. He made both the good Terminator movies. Oh, I guess he did make the first one as well, didn't he? Fuck. He did make the first one. Damn it. You okay. shut your mouth. Alright. I'm just trying to... Look. He made the second best Alien. Yeah, okay. He made the best Titanic movie. Look, look, look. This is going to be a very long podcast. We can't have an extended talk about James Cameron. Next, coming up next on The Real World, uh, Ben and Matt watch all the James Cameron movies, including Prana 2, a movie which does not exist. Je refuse. <laughs> so, for the last time until Ben's Marvelous Journey comes back, slash No Time to Die, Ben and Watch... August Walker, Henry Cavill. Great. Um, pretty good. Looks hot. Yeah, he's hot, but so is Geralt. Like, just go watch The Witcher if you're into this. Look, I just, I, I don't know. I was, I was going to say, like, he can spit in my mouth, but I thought that would be a bit too graphic. <laughs> Not right now, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a couple of months and then maybe. Undoubtedly a big physical presence, like a persistent, like, if you think of plot on a film as like a, I don't know, like, I can just imagine, like, little action figures of these two and, like, moving them around. Pieces on a board, you know, like, they are on a conference confrontation to each other and like he is a persistent threat and a, and a looming presence for Ethan even before he is the outright villain he's like the rival you know like they're both on the same side but you distrust the CIA because they're the CIA you know all of that is good like he is a big physical presence like it's cool seeing him get to do a role like this I just was like so he's both dumb and bad at fighting okay cool but we've been sort of starved for like really really good henchman 
style villains, like physical ones. Who do you think is the main villain of this movie? Do you think it's Walker or do you think it's Lane? Well, that's the weird thing. Yeah, they do kind of... We were talking about how like they can't decide if it's the asset or Dewey and Jason Bourne. And to an extent, it feels like that because Lane is so set up to be Ethan's nemesis. And then Ethan is like a hundred miles away. Well, not a hundred, but you know, miles away when Lane is taken down and he's off chasing Walker, who has like duped him and is like the one that is waving Julia in his face. But he's like Lane's disciple. Or he is a disciple of Lane, isn't he? Like, that well, was... I, think, I think that's the thing. Like, I think Walker is the main villain of this movie and Walker's good the other thing I really like is that even though Lane is ostensibly the person who's setting up Ethan to fail and this is revenge on his part and the only reason Ethan is going after Walker is because they just dislike each other and they niggle at each other and they've got good chemistry with each other is that they've managed to set up chemistry or like not chemistry they've managed to set up a situation where both Ilsa and Benji have a stake in taking down Lane because he took Benji hostage and, and she was undercover in his operation and yeah and I think that's what makes it really work is that they've got this villain who ostensibly like the villain is going after Ethan yeah. but they can remove Ethan from the table and have still have someone have a personal stake in yeah, it yeah and I, I just really like that yeah I do I do like when you have separate like this is this person's final encounter like this is their personal final boss type I, I, I do yeah. like that because like, you think about it and like you think about how badly Quantum of Souls fucked that up <laughs> yes with like Olga Korolenko and like oh she's trying to take down the, the general who yeah. <laughs> who sexually abused her and all these different things it's just like I don't care or like this is... protocol where Paula Patton kicks her nemesis out a window and then ceases her like this is her plot terminus but we yeah that, the, main, the, the main issue of ghost protocol being like the third act of the movie kind of pivots hard into we were setting these other characters up to have an interesting plot line but now Ethan needs to be the hero because he's going to remain the lead of this franchise I do like that Sean Harris was adamant he wanted to die in his first appearance and he's managed to they, they brought him back and he's still not dead <laughs> so still not dead they could potentially trot him out a third and even a fourth time if they needed to but we'll see what happens there again the apostles what happened there like i i feel that was like a unrealized or i think they're just they're just in the background and i wouldn't be surprised to hear that like the plot of seven and eight is about rounding up the last of these apostles i guess just you say something like the apostles and i envision like a wise man's committee like uh like the inner council the inner sanctum the big 12 disciples of solomon lane or whatever but like i mean for all we know maybe that was the original plan and yeah. then they watch Spectre and we're just like no we can't do this <sighs> you can if you make it good you have not John Lark we talked about him a stump and like kind of owns everyone he's very cool White Widow and her brother like White Widow's kind of a villain She's it's a very villainous performance from Kirby but she's also really fun and she's coming back and she's kind of set up to be a chaotic good type character and I like her a lot the brother big meh but you know, yeah, like he, we've he got like eight there. characters here. We I can forgive some villains being bad. How did Tom survive the halo jumps, the broken ankle, the motorcycle chase? Like I think his harness broke, so he was like, "How about I just do this without a harness?" And just they went on with it. Uh, the helicopter piloting, most of it is him as well, and he had to learn in a short period of time. Like I don't know if he was like in actual danger of death to the degree he was in like Mission Impossible Two, but like this is a crazy amount of stuff, and this is the big like oh he actually really hurt himself for the first time. Yeah, like the the, the, the kind of like the the gloves are off. This is like maybe we should end this franchise before the lead actor dies, <laughs> like like before the insurance for these movies gets impossible 
people to pay. I do, uh, I do enjoy, obviously, like Mission Impossible 2, where he's like free climbing and he like did that. And I then know. this movie ends with him free climbing up the mountain as well. Yeah, true. No knife being driven into his eye, though. Ugh. Yeah, Tom, please seek help for your obvious desire to die. Female agency, again, as I said, no real complaints, I don't think. Ilsa is back. She's still very cool. She gets to be the one to take down Lane. Like, the, the main issue is like she got pregnant and so maybe doesn't yeah. get to do quite as much action I, stuff I, as I, she did in the last movie. Yeah, I assume that's why she goes from like doing like she's a sniper on a bridge to she's just walking around a lot of corridors. And like maybe that's why she's wearing a suit. <laughs> because it's Yeah, less... like she's wearing the suit, she's wearing the, the, the biker leathers and yeah. obviously like wearing the, the masks so as like when they hit her with the car, you yeah. can't see that it's not her and yeah. White Widow, very, very cool. A nice little romantic tension with Ethan where she's like, you're fun. I meet a lot of dangerous people and you're fun. But then the kiss is terrible. <laughs> yeah, well, no one can kiss Tom Cruise. But... That's the thing. Tom Cruise has no chemistry with any woman in the world. <laughs> uh, if romantic chemistry with any woman in the world. I like that she is still ostensibly going to be around because Sloane's final like briefing is like, you know, with, with a friend or whatever. But Sloane herself, like, you know, Angela Bassett's a badass. She should be a more Yeah, she, she can do this in her sleep. Oh, yeah, yeah. This kind of role. It's that role that we've talked about where, similar with Joan Allen, her job is to be, I don't want to use gender black, you know, like, this isn't me saying it, it's like, she is the bitch that's come in to ruin all the boys' fun kind of thing. But she does it really well, and, like, I don't think that she is strung up by that. Like, it's a cool character. I think the other thing is, like, all of her decisions make sense with the information that she's given. One of the big issues when they do these kind of characters is, like, when you think about TV shows with anti-hero men and all the rest of it, and the wives are these people who are, like, they're to ruin the fun and they're to put exactly. a wrench to work yeah. but like what they're doing makes sense the decisions they're making is just the fact that the audience has more information than the characters in the show that like it feels like they're getting in the way of the plot progression but yeah. again it, it works here where she is everything she's given makes sense all her decisions make sense her wanting to just go like fuck it I can't be bothered to decide who's good and bad with IMF just bring them all to fucking Washington and we'll sort out here uh, <laughs> I don't care and Julia's back. A big, big thing for her, like, being confronted, not just a cameo of, like, oh, sorry, we didn't tie up your story properly or we couldn't be bothered to bring you back. Like, here is an actually, like, heavy thing for her to tackle of, like, being confronted with this man out of nowhere and also possibly the world's about to end, you know, all that stuff. All good. And, like, that's four big female characters and not one of them is being, like, sexualized or, like, stripping off or an extreme close-up or or anything like that. So, well done. We've done it. 15 episodes in. I don't think I have a complaint. Yeah. Um, I also just want to say to Michelle Monaghan, I welled up during their scene between Ethan and Julia, which is impressive as, again, Tom Cruise has no romantic chemistry with any woman. No. Michelle Monaghan is the closest they've come to that, and they managed to successfully make me well up during their conversations in Kashmir. So, good job, movie. The first one of these, apart from Casino Royale, to make me well up. Aww. Well, there you go, then. A fitting ending, because No Time to Die is penciled in as coming out in November now. Hopefully. Who knows if the world will still exist. Well, there's that. So, I guess we'll try and do that when it comes out, because there will be movies we'll return in like July so that it plays out towards the end of the year again so I don't know if we will have a week where we have both or we build in a week off so that we can slot in No Time to Dive we will figure that out for ourselves yeah I mean there's there's 26 weeks in the back half of the year and we're only going to be doing 25 episodes there is a week leeway yes (laughs) that can slot into there you go but between now 
And then, our next podcast project is Nothing Ever Ends, wherein we will cover the Watchmen TV show. Ben has already given thoughts on it with Jerome for the Superhero Pantheon Christmas special. You can go listen to those thoughts. I haven't, obviously, because I have not seen the show, and I have remained almost, I think, entirely spoiler-free. I know there's a dildo. Yes. And I know there's squids. That's about it. the trailer. Exactly. Like, I've seen the trailers, but I've managed to remain spoiler-free, which I didn't think I would manage to do, but as of the second we stop recording this, I can go get ready and start watching Watchmen, so that'll be fun. Our first episode, we are going to delve into the book and sort of very briefly ancillary media and, like, the legacy of Watchmen, and then we'll get rolling with two episodes per episode, and then we'll do just one for the finale and all that good stuff, but it will be similarly formatted to Countdown to Destruction, which is appropriate, as these are both Damon Lindelof joints wherein i will only have seen what we're covering in each episode and ben has seen it all so he gets to be like <laughs> just you wait while i'm like oh maybe this is gonna happen and i'm always wrong so that will be here soon i don't know if it will be next week when you hear this but it will be very soon so hopefully there's a world and yeah, hopefully matt, matt nothing ever go... ends is not a proven wrong in immediately but yeah matt needs to go read something yes i have to go read watchmen <laughs> i'm gonna go read all the answering material so that can be my little corner of the podcast where I go a little bit insane. My alarm has gone off to tell me to upload this week's podcasts onto EnterTheRealWorld.com, so I'm going to do that, and you should all go listen to them. But this has been Secret Agent Men. It's not quite the end, but it's basically the end for now, so... I mean, it's quite a fitting end. I mean, like, what what have we learned from this franchise other than inconvenient delays? And they'll eventually get it right with women. Thank you, Ben, for this, these 15 episodes, and for the last time, as we've always said since episode one. This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. Thank you, Ben. Goodbye. Bye. Secret Agent.